Hi there, a quick note before the episode begins. Did you know that Mija has her own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Mija Podcast, the audiobook, an exclusive and never-before-heard collection of memoirs and reflections by her creator, Lori Martinez, about what it meant to turn her own migration story into a fiction series. When you get Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. You can find it on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Also available in Spanish and French. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bienvenidos and welcome to Miha on the Mic, where me, Miha, welcomes daughters of immigrants, refugees, migrants, people who are coming from other countries and who are making moves in their industries around the world. Today, I'm so excited to invite activist, chart-topping podcast host, and all-around travel queen, Dr. Kiona. So exciting to actually interview you because we've been collaborating for the longest time. Yeah, I feel like I was your first sign-up. You were. You believed in Ochenta like from the jump. Thank you so much for that. No, thank you. I'm always like, whenever people ask me like, oh, um, what's your podcast about? I was like, I was signed by the first ever studio that produced multilingual podcasts, even before Spotify did it. <laughs> That's always my intro. It's like women-owned, POC-owned, you know barrier breaker um, studio. So I am so appreciative. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kiona. And for those of you who don't know Kiona, she's the voice behind our hit travel podcast, How Not to Travel, blends culture and education through travel. You can check out the new season right now on your favorite podcast app called How Not to Travel. And she's also a travel educator and consultant. She hosts trips. You can follow her on at Dr. Kiona now. That's your new handle, right? And her whole thing is about community building and making a difference through education in travel. And so I'm super excited to have her here today. So to start off, I always ask all of my Miha guests, where are you from? So I am originally born on Oahu Island in Hawaii, which is an archipelago in the middle of the Pacific. It's actually the most isolated place on earth. And I was raised on the big island of Hawaii or Hawaii Island, which is a different island on the same archipelago. But my parents, I guess you would say, are uh, my mother is from Korea and my father is from Austria. So I'm those things as well. <laughs> so you've got multicultural girl from the beginning. What culture of those three feels the most like home to you, especially as someone who travels so much? Like what is the culture that you feel like, yeah, I'm here. This is me. That's a really hard question. <laughs> um, I would say that my upbringing, like in such a nature specific and like the native people of Hawaii are so tied to nature and the spirits that live there that I feel like all of my values start there is in Hawaii, especially it being like the most diverse state in the United States. I mean, I grew up with like Micronesians, like Papua New Guinea, Native Hawaiians, like 
military people coming in and out. So I've always been around like a very diverse culture and like me, myself being biracial. um, I feel like it shaped how I approach the world as just like a diverse place. So I feel like Hawaii is the place that I would say shaped me the most. But if we're talking about food, it's Korean. As you know, I spent most of my time in Latin America. It's very difficult to find. And so I feel the most tied to Korea when we're talking about like food or like even like work ethic or like punishment or rage, like all of that stuff, like it's definitely been passed on by my mother. Um, I didn't really live with my dad, although he's always been a part of my life. And we've been to Austria every year since I was like born. So it's definitely present, but I feel the farthest from that culture. Do you speak Korean a little bit? I mean, I understand the words and I know when my grandma's upset. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Other than that, I don't speak Korean. I wish. That's amazing. Also that you, you still have that connection. I feel like a lot of daughters of immigrants, they feel like there's like an obligation to like speak that language or like they feel ashamed about it. But I feel like it's whatever feels the most true to you and like your experience. And if you didn't get exposed to Korean as much or if you weren't able to learn the language as easily when you were growing up, doesn't mean that you're any less Korean, which I think is a nuance that we didn't have before, you know? Yeah, I also feel like I I'm like, I'm Korean American. Like, I don't speak Korean. I just eat the food. I don't even know how to cook the food. Like, Once my grandmother passes away, I've thought so frequently how I'll never taste these flavors again because I don't know how to cook. (laughs) And so it's just like I have to like enjoy it now because like as diaspora, like you do lose like a huge part of yourself, but then you gain like a lot as well. So I always say like I'm Korean American culture, like not Korean. And like if I was ever to go to Korea, I would just literally be a tourist. Like I wouldn't even try to even explain the culture because I'm sure it's like totally different than like the Korean culture that I grew up in. And I also find diaspora um, populations, they hold on to a very old version of their culture. So like, because all my Korean culture is passed on through my grandmother and my mother, like they left Korea, you know, after the Korean War. So their culture is like stopped at that time. That's so interesting. It's so generational and it has so much to do with the time. I had the same experience. I mean, as as much as I can speak Spanish, if I go back to Colombia, I'm still Colombian American. And so I'm the gringa that comes to the country. But it's always like being just self-aware of it, I think is so interesting. And I think you're more aware of it as well because you're always traveling, right? So I would love to know, like, what was that first trip that you did? Maybe like the first trip that you did as like a family trip that probably was with to Austria with your family. And then like the first trip that you did solo that like really kind of sparked your love of travel. My first trip to Austria, I met my cousins. Well, I guess the first trip that I remember because, you know, when you go as a baby, like you don't really remember. Um, but I remember meeting my cousins and they were blonde hair and blue eyed and I just wasn't. And like my aunt had made us um, matching dirndls, which is like traditional Austrian dress. And we still have that picture but I literally look adopted, you know, where it's like this like brown child in the middle of like these two blonde hair, blue eyed. And like, we all have traditional dresses, but it's like, yeah, all three of us are Austrian. I just don't look it, which on my past solo trip to Austria, I went to try to learn German. So I don't speak German and all of our family group chats are in German. I don't know who's getting pregnant, <laughs> whose birthday it is. Like, I have no idea. <laughs> um, and so I tried to learn and 
I realized that nobody sees me as Austrian there. Like so many people are like, oh, have you tried Wiener schnitzel? I'm like, duh, like I eat that all the time. Or like just like basic things they just tried to explain to me. I'm like, you know, I'm Austrian too, right? Like I have fully grown up like doing these things. So I think I just, when it comes to like my family trip being biracial, I just realized how like very not I was of that. And I imagine it would be the same if I was to go to Korea, they're going to say the same thing. Like like how you say you go to Colombia and you're always going to be the gringa. Like I'm always going to be that Korean girl who's in Korea who doesn't speak Korean, even though I'm supposed to be speaking Korean. But my first trip that inspired me to travel, it was kind of solo. My, uh, my grandfather owned a boat. He was a sailor in the military. And he owned a boat and he took me from... Italy to Tunisia. And so he made me clean. I had to like polish the boat. Like we had to cook. There was like limited water on board. And I think people think of sailing as like something very beautiful and like exotic. Well, to me, it was like Mm. 23 hours of water. And like all you see is water. And I was only with my grandfather and my little brother. So I was like, there's really nothing I had to say. There was like very little to talk about. I only brought one book. So I was like bored. Um, I think he tried to teach us how to read the stars. And I just like, I was like, this all looks black to me. I don't really. (laughs) And so it was like one of the worst trips I would say ever. But it inspired me because along the way, we would stop in Sorrento or Taormina or Sicily or in Tunisia. My grandfather knew people in every single stop. So he's like, oh, yeah, I have to go wash my clothes. I'm stopping in Sorrento. Or, oh, yeah, I'm going to go pick up a bottle of wine. My friend, he owns like a liquor store here in Malta. I remember being out on the open ocean and like another ship had flagged us down and they like I guess recognized my grandfather's boat and then like handed him like a bottle of wine and then kept going on like they knew each other from I don't know a long time ago and I just thought it was so cool how he created a community in so many different places and so many people were so pumped to see him like oh I haven't seen you in so long like come like have a drink with me or I have a baby now. And like, you know, it's like they like wanted to update him on his life. And he was just as excited to see them. And I don't know how long it had been since they'd seen each other. But I think it said a lot to me about his character, that so many people genuinely liked him and all over the world, right? We're like crossing from like Europe onto Africa. And I just I was like, how do you have friends in the open water? Like, I don't understand that. And so it inspired me to want to live a life similar to that where I have community. So I feel like I've tried to build that. You could argue that you've succeeded. Yeah, I would think so. Because you've traveled to how many countries have you actually been to? I stopped counting after like 45, I think, (gasps) um, because I felt it wasn't just like the amount of countries. It was like the relationships that I'm building. So I started like going back and revisiting countries like over and over and over again. Like, I don't know, I've been to Mexico like 27 times or Cuba, I don't even know, like 58. But the thing that I prize most now are like the people and connections that I have in those places rather than the destination, if that makes sense. That's amazing. I don't want to ask you what your favorite country is because I feel like that's an impossible question. But I would like to know, like, what's the happiest country that you've been to? out of all the places? That's a good question. Well, I always tell people my favorite country is Mexico. (laughs) Um, I love Mexico because it's such a diverse place. And I think that's just based on like 
landmass. Like there's deserts, there's waterfalls, there's there's just everything that's all there, as well as it was the convergence of the new world. So like there's so many different cultures there. There's like Arab influence, there's Spanish influence, there's African influence, there's Chinese influence. There's like so much influence like baked into Mexico, which I think is so multicultural. And so I feel like, and each region is so different because it has its own thing. Like, you know, going to Chiapas and eating blue tortillas, whereas like Monterrey is flour tortillas. Whereas, so I feel like it's just so different all the time. So every time I go, I feel like I'm discovering something different. So I really, really love Mexico, but my second favorite country is Haiti. And I always say it's because the beauty of their culture and resilience and religion and all those things have like been covered up by bad media. And so for me, it was just like such a shocking, pleasantly surprising place to be in. So I want to talk about your cross-cultural works, because I think we, we have so much in common with that, because we both see the value in reaching across cultures through storytelling and like learning from other cultures and communities. So I don't know, what kind of sparked that in you? Was it your cross-cultural upbringing? Was there a particular moment? We have so much in common across cultures. Like, was there any kind of moment that sparked that in you? Yeah. So I think that's such an important question. And I think it's something that we don't talk about enough. And I think the answer is in like, multiracial, multi-upbringing, multilingual families, because we in our blood are able to hold lots of things at the same time. So I always have like my mom and my dad, which are like East and West, like to give you an example, my mom could be like, Oh, I don't want ice cream. I know that that means that she wants ice cream, but she doesn't want to burden anybody with her wants. So she says she doesn't want any. And so the answer to that would be to just buy her ice cream and be like, oh, here, mom, like I just bought you ice cream. That would be like a Korean way. Whereas my dad will be like, oh, she said she doesn't want ice cream. So I'm just not going to buy it for her. It's very literal. <laughs> yeah, it's so literal. And he's like, well, you said what you said. If that's not what you meant, why would you say that? <laughs> I just feel like they're at two odds with each other. But I think they equally contribute really good things. Um, and they could be really great in certain circumstances and bad in other circumstances. And then my dad married this Palestinian woman and she's Arab and Arab hospitality is like next level. Like they just absorb you in as like part of the family. They give you assignments. They like, you know, they're like, you're one of us now. So I feel like mixing all three of those cultures and just realizing like where everybody was coming from culturally and that they're genuinely like have love for me and like generally want to see me succeed and want to be helpful, um, I think has helped me be able to hold the world differently. Yeah, there's so much about just highlighting differences rather than highlighting similarities. And like, in the end, they're all just trying to show love. I want to talk about your platform. And maybe we can start from what I met you as, which is how not to travel like a basic bitch. Um, the story goes that I reached out to Kiona as a DM and I said, I really like your content. Would you like to do a podcast? And at the time you were doing a lot of content that was very much um, education, but like through negation, like saying, don't do this, do this. Right. And I know that you had like a conscious evolution from that kind of content into something a little bit more definitely going in a direction that's more educational. I want to hear about that evolution and how you use your platform. And like, maybe it would be good to hear like what what made you start it? Like, what was the thing that said, I have to make content about this because people aren't talking about it enough? 
So I made it because I was traveling a lot. Um, when I was getting my PhD, we had whole summers off, so I would travel. And coming from Hawaii, where it's a very, um, the environment is very fragile. And relationships are fragile as well. Because I grew up like that, I feel like I enter into other people's spaces with that same awareness, whereas like, oh, it's fragile here. So I don't want to ruin community relationships. I don't want to ruin the environment. I don't want to ruin anything. Um, I want to enter with respect and like openness and gratefulness and appreciation. And I found traveling through Guatemala or Mexico or Honduras or just like Latin America in general that a lot of backpackers, mochileros, they just didn't operate that way. Like I'm not going to negotiate with like a single mother sitting on the side of the road, like selling coffee, her price. Like I'm just not. Or I'm not going to put up my bare feet that I haven't washed in three weeks because I'm a backpacker who stays at hostels with no water up like on the bus, like right next to the bus driver's face. I was like, I decided I was going to just start a blog called How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch because I was just frustrated. I needed a place to vent. And I thought it was just going to be for my friends on Facebook. But I didn't know that like, you know, within a week of me publishing like my first blog post, like tens and thousands of people were reading it. And so I don't think I really realized the effect of my words and how fast it could travel in a digital space. And I realized that I also was just frustrated and like venting and like coming from a place of anger, but it wasn't necessarily productive. So I eventually changed over where I was like, okay, yeah, I can be upset about this, but is it doing anything? Like, is it changing anything? Is it productive? And so I realized I just didn't want to do that. I didn't want to contribute to that. I just wanted to like vibrate higher and like provide solutions as a creative. It's not funny to be stuck in a rage cycle. So I had to move on and progress. You did it so admirably because I think the new Dr. Kiona educational platform is really standing by those values. And I want to talk about the values of offline activism because you were talking about it before because, you know, not everything has to be online. And I think a lot of the work that you're doing these days is is not on social media. So I would love to hear you talk about a little bit about some of the work that you've been doing and also just how you're disconnecting from the digital life a little bit. Because I think a lot of us kind of feel like we want to maybe and aren't sure how or are being pulled in a different direction around social media and aren't sure like what to make of it these days. Well, whenever you figure out how we can have business without social media, let me know. I would love, I would subscribe to that because <laughs> I'm so done with social media. I don't know how content creators like update everything. I'm like, how do you have a YouTube, a TikTok, a Threads, Twitter, Instagram? I'm like, I can barely keep up with like one or two. But yeah, I started doing my work offline because I realized how many quote unquote, activists sprouted after 2020. And I think maybe rightfully so, but they stopped at infographics on Instagram. And I talk frequently about the power of a meme and how nothing is fact checked, right? Like anybody can post anything. And if it goes viral, people just believe it. But like, it just is so based like outside of reality. And, and so I realized that I wanted to push people to leave social media and touch grass or be in a waterfall or meet people in real life because I felt like socialization was spiraling out of, or like, I guess, de-socialization was spiraling out of control with COVID. So I was like, I just want people to 
meet each other in real life because these behaviors don't exist in reality. Like there's conflict that exists in reality, but it doesn't play out the way that it plays out in digital spaces. And second of all, I wanted people to socialize with each other. I want people, when you take away like physical space, you take away a lot of things. Like there's like body language and tone. And I was going to take all my education offline, encourage people to get offline so I just now use my social media platform to present projects once they're already completed. Or if I need fundraising, I'll fundraise online to then showcase like what we did in real life. If it's not making material difference, like I don't want any parts of it. Can you give an example? I think the one that I followed the most was the nail salon one. That story was so great. Um, could you share that one? Yeah. So I started nail salon two years ago in El Salvador and I kept it completely offline. So the project was I hired single mothers on the beach and I wanted them, I wanted women to have like not a cap on how much they can make. Whereas like boys, they sell a surf class, they get paid per surf class. So they get paid per service. And so I just wanted to give them empowerment through financial means. So I started a salon, hired all these single moms, sent them all to school, bought all the materials, and then they were all trained in being nail techs first. Um, and then we started it that way. They have their base salary, plus they earn commissions, and then all the services would go back into their education. So they're allowed to take two classes per year to further their education. So if they want to do massages or eyelashes or facials or English class, like a lot of them opted into English class, but I make them search for their own school. They're actively participating in their own education and what they want to do. And... I didn't publish it online because I was like, they're just going to destroy this. And then at the end of the day, it's like the single mom who gets hurt. Like, I'm not making money off of that salon. Like, there's no way like that thing is like um, sustaining me, you know. Two years later, I decided to publish about it because I was leaving the company. I'm giving it to my business partner. I'm moving on to a different project. And second of all, because the girls are in such a good place, like one of them is like about to buy a piece of property. Another one like wants to open up her own salon and like feels empowered to do that. And like, I think a lot of business owners would be like, oh, that's competition. But I feel like it's not like, I think it's wonderful that she feels so inspired that she can do this on her own. And then it just provides more money for more women on the beach. But yeah, that was like a a project that I didn't do on social media at all. I didn't promote the nail salon at all. Everything was community connection. Like, and it was really awesome that we were able to do it without social media. Cause I feel like in this age, it's kind of hard to do. I think that's so admirable because you have so many projects like that. I mean, that's just one of them. And I think that you found a lot of strength in the community that you've built, but of course there's been challenges. I do want to ask you about how you've overcome the difficulties of being a woman on social media, specifically a POC woman? Yeah, totally. So I have two comments on that. I think one, being a multi-hyphenated, multi-identity person like, is very difficult for people to comprehend because they're just not used to seeing like multi-hyphenated people before. And it really used to hurt my feelings because I was like, why are they making me fit into this thing? Like, Why can't they just accept me for who I am? I'm so proud of all the cultures and all the experiences that I've had. And I just realized that I just have a very global point of view of the world, whereas America has a very America-centric view of the world. And which is why I really love children of immigrants, because they also have like a global perspective, because they're usually oscillating between like all these different parts of the world and all these different languages. 
And the second thing is like doing projects that actually change people's lives and looking how I do. Um, I think when you operate so unapologetically online, it threatens people who do feel shame. I think it's very easy to become envious and like want to tear that person down. When I get attacked, I've realized to recognize like when the when the spirits are telling me like, hey, you're not on path, we're redirecting you. So now I don't see them as like an attack on me as a person. I just see it as like communication from like another world that like we need to move along or like we need to concentrate on like what's important. I find it admirable that you've been able to kind of navigate everything and come out on the other side and continue to do meaningful work. I would like to ask you, what is something unexpected that you've never really thought you'd learn on this journey that you've been on? Yeah, I think the most positive thing is the cool people I met on the internet, like you, like who knew that, like, I don't know, we've been working together four years. I don't even know how long, but like, it was a literal DM. Would I have ever met you in person? Probably not. Like, would I have ever collaborated with you, produced any sort of content? Like, probably not. Like, I've met so many cool people on the internet who I've created projects with or like lifelong friendship. Well, I hope lifelong. Um, I just wish that I could opt out of all the negative things of the internet. That's crazy. Incredible. Um, and now we're coming to the end. So I would like to ask you some speed round questions. This is going to be very like fast. So just answer from your heart. So what language do you swear in when you accidentally touch a hot plate? English. What's your favorite food? Korean soup, uh, tofu soup. What's a song you've had in your head this week? Mariah Carey. Um, <laughs> Fantasy by Mariah Carey. It's because all those like Barbie, uh, all the Barbie promotions are coming out. So all of like the songs along with it are coming out. Anyway. What's your last Google search that you feel comfortable sharing? I Google search myself. <laughs> Keeping tabs. Um, all right. What is your most embarrassing dream? Uh, yesterday I had a dream about my ex-business partner and how she like really wanted to go on my tours. And I was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, we did not split in a good way. So that was my dream last night. I wonder what it means. And that's it. Thank you so much for your time, Kiona. Tell our listeners where we can find you, where they can book a tour. Um, so people can find me on Instagram at Dr. Kiona, but you have to spell out doctor. Um, and then you can find my podcast at How Not to Travel Pod, um, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also find our tours at reroutetravel.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This is Miha on the Mic, a season of reflection on our shared experiences as daughters of immigrants. Over the next couple of weeks, I'll be sharing stories like these and inviting guests to share theirs. Follow us on Instagram at Miha Podcast, that's M-I-J-A Podcast, and leave us a note if you like this story. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. This is a production of Studio Ochenta, a Latina-owned multilingual podcast studio dedicated to raising voices across cultures. For more from Studio Ochenta, follow us at Ochenta Podcasts on Instagram. That's O-C-H-E-N-T-A Podcast with an S on Instagram. P.S. Don't forget this season is also about you. If you have a story you'd like to share, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, I invite you to reach out on Instagram at Miha Podcast and leave us a message with a short story or memory of yours that warms your heart. We'll read it out loud on the show. Hasta pronto. Ciao. 
Did you know that Mija has her own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Mija Podcast, the audiobook, an exclusive and never-before-heard collection of memoirs and reflections by her creator, Lori Martinez, about what it meant to turn her own migration story into a fiction series. When you get Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. You can find it on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Also available in Spanish and French.